I think it was a good idea to have sex before the podcast. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's all you got for me? I agree. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. All right, pour some Moscato or something. Let's. I think, man, tough audience tonight. <laughs> I'm not feeling very good. Oh yeah, you want to talk about that? I just have a cold. It's not like a super bad cold, but just annoying enough. All right. Well, if you can wait out there in podcast listening land, while we cut our cigars and pour our beverages here's the deal not that i need to justify myself but i feel like i've listened to other podcasts and i want to admit that you're getting a subpar product like we're not as highly produced as we could be or organized so if you're looking for data per minute this isn't your podcast because <laughs> here's the thing i feel like we're pretty maxed out and I'm committed to this podcast experiment. Like, I want to learn it. And I feel like we're adding value mm-hmm. to the world, I hope. I'm assuming that's why people are listening. But it comes with this, like, we've got to do it this one way right now. Otherwise, we just don't have the energy to do it. And that one way is, it's like at the end of our date night, it's 10 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I haven't spent, like, much time preparing or organizing the topic. In fact, when we were out on date night, I was just like, hey, Cammy, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> She was like, I don't know. Oh, I and I said, that too short. And I said, well, I have this one idea. And we're like, okay, great. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So if that floats your boat, I'm glad you're here. Hang on. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. So you're kind of getting scraps, but at least you're getting something if you want it. You're getting Cammy's sloppy seconds because she already smoked a cigar tonight, today. Yeah. I did. Sitting out on my porch in the sun, reading. It's my happy place. So if you're wondering out there in a video podcast land, maybe you don't recognize me, but this is, in fact, your host, Ben Crawford. But I'm wearing a new sweater, uh, sweatshirt, hoodie thing. And you might be thinking, oh, wait, is that still Ben? Because normally he wears plaid or his Filson jacket. And... It's a new purchase. I hope to have it for the next 20 years, so don't worry. Is Cammy with a new man? What? Because <laughs> I'm definitely wearing the same thing. So, you know, I, I don't want to do this to you often, like, freak you out like this. But <laughs> we realize stability is important. Yeah, stability is not our thing, but with clothes, actually, it is. <laughs> <laughs> And if, if they've watched her vlog long enough, they know. <laughs> okay. Well, Cammy's lighting up. Let's go to the comment board from last week and just take a look at a few of these nifty comments that we really appreciate that people leave on the YouTube. Okay. BB Mama says, oh, looking forward to your thoughts on abducted in plain sight next week so last week was that last week we watched that oh that was disturbing not surprising but so not surprising still disturbing so not surprising especially in a religious like highly highly religious environment so i read this book years ago maybe a decade ago maybe more than that it's called under the banner of heaven by john krakauer john krakauer is one of my favorite authors some of you might recognize his name from such titles as into the wild which got turned into a movie or he wrote into thin air which is my favorite like everest book um (laughs) that's very specific (laughs) well my favorite Everest book. <laughs> I've read quite a few Everest books. Um, uh, he's kind of a climbing nerd. But anyhow, he wrote this book called Under the Banner of Heaven a decade ago. 
and this the the I don't know whether it was the subtitle. I think it was on the original cover or was like on the back of the book. Mm-hmm. But it basically said like two guys murdered this woman and her baby woman and her baby in their crib while they were sleeping and they said god told them to okay that's not that interesting that stuff happens all the time like (laughs) people murder and do wacky shit but then what it said is this book is about what led up to that to make it make sense basically Mm -hmm. like why it wasn't that weird for them to do it given where they came from Mm-hmm. And I, this is totally paraphrased. I'm slaughtering this. This is from 12 years ago, memory. But basically, it's the history of the LDS church and, like, basically this cult-like... And I, I I, wouldn't have always... If I would have said that before, I would have been. it would have been, like, more derogatory. Like, coming from a Christian background, we called, like, um, like Mormons cult-like just because we saw them as less than Christian. But now I can say... With, more confidence from an academic perspective that it is called like <clears throat> and there's different streams of it just like in christianity i think there's different streams of cultish activity like there's fundamentalist mormonism but the cult likeness is this there's this high 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 emphasis on submission to authority the question the problem is they never tell you like who the authority is so for younger people they think anyone older than them is an authority that they ought to submit it's to ambiguous and pe- there's very little, like, free thought. Like, you're almost taught, you're disincentivized for thinking for yourself. And by the way, I would consider a lot of what we were, have been involved in to be very cult-like, uh, non-LDS related. But it wasn't, it, it like, basically, if you stood out, it's almost like Asian culture, where if you stood out, you got hammered down. Or expelled. Exactly. Which I guess is hammered down. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so all that to say, this... This is a Netflix documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight, and it was um, about this LDS family that basically did these crazy things. They let this um, molester basically take over their family, and I'm not shocked at all because of that background, Yeah, unfortunately. Everyone was trained to be nice and friendly, and if you weren't nice and friendly... There was something wrong with you. So even if, so any red flags you had would have, you would immediately silence because you needed to be nice and friendly. You need to be a this certain type of person. And I think I'm still on this high from this. Uh, what are the two documentaries you watched recently? We watched the Michael Jackson one, mm-hmm. which that is still kind everyone. of blowing my mind. And that makes like that Netflix one seem like kind of small potatoes to me. In a way. I mean, it, what's interesting, they're both interesting in their own right because the Michael Jackson one is, like, high profile. And then the... It's not the whole pro- high profile that makes it interesting to me. It's the level through which it goes into detail about the grooming process. Oh, that's true. I mean, like, it could be anyone. Yeah. And then the the abducted in plain sight was interesting to me because it had religious roots to it. Yeah, that one was kind of weird. I, I'm more I'm more excited. My Netflix this week, my Netflix goal is Darren Brown. He's this UK magician, and he, like, totally does this mind control shit. That's just, like, fucking nut job. It's like I mean, social experiment. Yeah, I was watching him 10 years ago, and I could not get enough of him. And then I just recently found out that he's, like, back on Netflix or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, we'll keep you updated on that. <laughs> Next comment is, whoa, whoa, I'll read whoa. this one. Yeah. That's really small, do. though. Hang on. I'll make it bigger. By the way, <clears throat> I'm glad to be here with you tonight, Cammie. Me too. I was feeling pretty low energy. I could tell. Before our bedroom romp. I don't know what it was. And now I'm smoking a cigar, drinking a beverage, Pizza, looking into your eyes. sex, podcast. <laughs> Woo. Date night. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Can I get a little? Yeah. Clappy clap. Yeah, let me see how to Make do sure this. it's not a booey boo. I know. Um, um <laughs> here? This one will work. We need to hire someone just to do these. I feel like we could use a little bit of cheering, but I don't have that sound effect. Okay. Okay. Plant based large family says question for you on school. You are all about doing hard things as a family. Um 
giving them wouldn't school fall into that category i know when you gave philia the option of school she chose it in her own time and got excited for it that's great but when it gets difficult what then i know you've just started this no rules thing so maybe you don't know but thoughts okay well yeah that's a big one to us it, it actually goes way back way before we've done it well i'm just saying the note like us not doing school i think what she's what she's saying is you're not afraid to do hard things if school's a hard thing why don't you do school we've done yeah we've done it it's like kids have done it i i mean like even when we were hiking the appalachian trail like we did it i think a lot of people are like oh are you gonna go do it again i'm like maybe but probably not um like it was a fun experiment and it was fun to get a new perspective on life. What's what's weird to me about school is that it's like 12 years and then it's not even just 12, it's 12 plus four and sometimes plus like another four. So it's like this massive cycle of your life where at some point what you're learning, you stop learning whatever it is you're supposed to be learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's just information, but I think there's better ways to learn information. So we're not we're not really into the school thing well, I'm not against it. Yeah, she asked, wouldn't school fall into that category? And I guess for us right now, no. But other things fall into that category. Um, I think it's school. I would like our kids to be able to learn from school. Yeah, and they have, like, each of the, especially the three older ones, are pursuing their own type of learning that's been difficult for them because a lot of it's been difficult because it's had to be self-motivated. But it's, it's just as important for me, for my kids to learn how to learn outside of school because that's more realistic with how they're going to spend the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And school doesn't prepare you for learning outside of school. In fact, school, no. in my experience, like actually hates you make, hate the process of learning. Yeah. You so that when get you, it it's like summer value. break and you're like, I can't wait to just veg. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that, has to do with you don't really have a choice whether to learn or not yeah good question though i mean that is a good question i bet a lot of people will wonder that okay this here's a fucking bomb can i read this yes okay david comments i'm curious if you guys hold more of a moral relativist mindset or if you see people in every situations as still worthy and loved by God, yet still needing support on a path toward righteousness. Uh, righteousness in a sense, they admit they're a sinner and are doing their best with their situation, not righteousness as in perfection in action and word. Dude, I, I don't understand that sentence. I'm sure it makes sense, but those are like a lot of big words for me right now. <laughs> Basically, do you see righteousness as a path everyone is on with an ultimate end and regardless where you are on that path, as long as you are on it, that is what God desires from us. Or do people, uh, oh, people have different paths with different ends and standards. Your genuine approach to understanding people and loving them is something I have not come across often, but is something I greatly value. I'm new to the channel and your vlog and just trying to piece some things together. What's moral relativist? See, this is the problem for me with answering this question. And by the way, I appreciate this question. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to answer. Yeah. David. Um, so thank you for asking it. But mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer it because <clears throat> back in the good old days, I knew exactly what moral relativism was. And it was people that didn't believe in absolute truth the way that I understood absolute truth. And, and there was you, only one absolute and truth. you held the market. Or we felt like our whatever. Our held brand. The, our brand held the market yes. on that. Yeah. And that was a really nice feeling and nice place to be. Unfortunately, I'm not there anymore. Well, I say unfortunately tongue in cheek because I'm actually very happy to not be there anymore. But I also don't see myself as a moral relativist, but I would have seen myself as a moral relativist. Like I believe mm-hmm. I believe like love, God loving us and us loving people is like super important. Yeah. The most important. Okay, so there's no relativity about that. Now, if we're to ask, what does that look like? Can you be gay in love or can you 
cheat on your taxes in love or can you follow rules in love? I would say what that looks like is not, I don't have the confidence I used to have in describing certain behaviors. To me, it's not really a path anymore. It's just presence. Like being able to be present with God, getting rid of your mind, getting in the way and all these like fears and stuff to me like the whole path things i i think that's a trigger word for me to there's one way one truth boom yeah here it is i don't know yeah i don't see god as caring about the path as much as just caring about like being one with us did i lose you you lost me oh okay well because you're just on your I, I hear Cammy talk about this all day, every day. It's her like power of now mantra stuff, and I'm really glad that she's into it. I just I started to zone out. Yeah, it's... I mean, it was good sex. It wasn't that good for me. Yeah. To listen for that long. Where's the boo right now? Well, Come there's on. no boo. Oh, there's a boo. Not for something like that. I mean, I guess that's your choice, but that's oh, okay. It's cool. You can. Okay, I think it's time to move on to our topic now. Yep. Um, the topic today, as you saw from the title is something I'm calling the black sheep syndrome. Which you have a tattoo on your thigh. On my thigh. Of a black sheep. Should I show it to him? And you got it this last year. Yeah, I'll have to pull my pants down. (laughs) So I'm not going to do it right now. Sorry, you guys are going to have to wait. You can envision that. So I don't know how to start off with this because we're a little disorganized, but... Here's, I'll tell some stories. Growing up, we went to this Bible camp. And I don't know if I describe it as conservative. I don't even know what to say, what to call conservative anymore. Because I came to find out everything on West Coast doesn't seem as conservative as Bible Belt. But it felt conservative to us. So. I think conservatism is probably on a spectrum. Yeah. But it was, um. Okay, it was Bible-based. There was, like, no one-piece, or sorry, no two-piece swimsuits allowed. No bad language. No kissing. No kissing unless you're married. Um, No alcohol, no tobacco. I mean, it was just, like, what I consider a good, typical, good people camp. So this was, like, one of the formative environments for me growing up. And I, I'm really thankful for this place because I formed a lot of relationships where we met, Cammy mm-hmm. and I. Yeah. Um, it was like the highlight of my summer was to it's go to this place. a beautiful place on a lake on Whibby Island in Washington State. A lot of memories there. Yeah. And growing up, there was these families. Like, we'd go to family camp and there'd be like, let's just say, 20 families that we knew. And of these 20 families, there's probably like four families that had a kid that was like the bad, bad kid. kid. Yeah. They were like the rule breaker. And they were either like smoking pot or making out. I mean, I didn't even think having sex was like an option back then. So they never fit in either. Yeah. And like everyone kind of knew who these kids were. You know, they were the some of them wore leather jackets and had tattoos, and this word wasn't used, but this idea was very much used. Heck, maybe the word was used. They were the black sheep. They were the ones that didn't have their shit together, weren't following the rules, didn't fit in, and were seen as rebellious and seen as less than i mean that that, Mm -hmm. once again that phrase wasn't used but it was there was this other lingo that was used that was like oh we'll pray for that person Mm -hmm. god loves that person too now i've come to find out it's very condescending language but at the time i i just like bought into it and i was like wow who are these black sheep and not all of them but a lot of them phased out of camp early yes these people did not last Mm -mm. in this environment and for me, I was able to play that game for much longer. I fit into this camp environment, I would say, into my 20s before I started to get um, like pushed out. 
you started, I think, evolving your ideas, your beliefs, and your personality is like not, you don't hide that shit. <laughs> and, and playing blackjack professionally doesn't help. Yeah. Having Which that started at age 23 for you. Having women with their tattooed on your arm with their asses hanging out didn't help. Uh, but you called it a vice. Uh, I had a couple things going against me. Mm-hmm. Um, identifying as a sexaholic didn't help. Um, so, but I was always, um, well, around this time period, I started to get really fascinated with rethinking about these stories now of these people who used to be a slam dunk to me. I was like, oh, I know who you are. You're a rebel. Mm-hmm. You don't fit in. And you're trying, like, there was this feeling or thought or belief that those kids were trying not to fit in. I guess that's the rebellious part well, of it. Well, it's almost like their whole thing was sticking the middle finger to the man. Right. When maybe they were just being But themselves. it wasn't the man, because the man is this corporate thing. This was like God and godly living. So the the consequences were much higher. Like, if, if, the, if purity or holiness or righteousness was better... And if these people are sticking the middle finger to that, then they have it coming to them in this life or the next. This, that's what I believed. Like, oh, your life is going to be harder. Fine. Yeah. Do drugs. You're going to end up and, without a job. And we believe purity, holiness, it all looks this way. Like, you got to follow these rules. Um, and God says that too, by the way, is what we believed. So... Somewhere along the way, I started to become fascinated with this type of person that didn't make it at camp. And I guess I should say they didn't make it at camp, but they also often didn't make it at church. And they also didn't make it within some of these families specifically that worked at churches or camp. Because when you work at a church, when you work at a camp, this kind of these jobs, they kind of take over your entire life. Like being a pastor it's not just a hat you put on and then you can take off. Like when people come over to your house from your church, they're like checking out everything about what you do, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of beverages you drink. And everything's heightened too, because your reputation is really important way, even more important than just the like person that just attends the church or is a member at the church. And I guess we should, you know, full disclosure here. Uh, I made this sound like it's some deep confession, but Cammy's dad is a pastor. Was, yeah. So you had an a very inside view into ministry life of like what it looked like to have a professional mm-hmm. church person. Yeah, the pressure was really intense for my parents and for us as kids to look a certain way, act a certain way. So calling these people black sheep or referring to them by anything that resembles a black sheep just made sense because it's so simple. It says like, okay, here's the flock. We're all white sheep. You don't fit in. That's your fault. It's your problem. The impetus is on you. You're broken. These are kind of the implications. And hopefully someday you learn to fit in. Otherwise, like the show goes on and you're not going to be a part of it. Now, like I said, this wasn't like said, but this is all reading between the lines. This was the net result of it. And now I look at that and I think that whole thing, one, is optional. And I'm going to explain how I think it's optional. Two, I think it's really, really tragic and important. And I don't think you have to be religious to be implicating these types of uh, behaviors. And the reason why it's so important, whether or not you're in a church or not, because how we define our family and black sheep or outsiders or insiders within our family is one of the biggest definitions I think we can ever come up with. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's conditional love. So even the kids that are quote unquote white sheep know that if they start looking black sheepish then they're gonna lose something really valuable they're gonna lose love or standing in the family they're gonna get treated like their sibling did 
So there was a family, a well-known family at this camp who had a kid that was one of these black sheep. And by the way, there was like three or four other kids that were like the complete opposite, right? I mean, they were like the super good kids. So it was obvious then that, okay, their parenting works. I mean, this is once again what we told ourselves. And this one kid is just rejecting all the goodwill that's being offered to him, sticking the middle finger up and leaving the flock to because they prefer free will destruction and partying that's like that's the tale that's told Mm -hmm. well the older i got and as i heard more parts of the story that came out actually after this particular child who was now an adult with children committed suicide Mm -hmm. that there's a whole nother side to this story and that a lot of what we saw as these like absolute morality issues come to find out one weren't absolute moral issues you know like let's let's take smoking pot i mean 30 years ago that was like huge no-no i mean people would be like oh it's illegal and it rots your brain and all these things okay well in seattle where this camp is basically seattle area Pot smoking pots, the new like trend rap music. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, it's just like you can buy it anywhere. And I don't care what you think about it or not, but it doesn't have the same moral stigma inside the church or outside the church that it used to. And my guess is in another 20 years, like pastors are going to be smoking joints while giving a sermon. (laughs) That's going to be the hip new exaggerated. Yeah. So. Anyways, this guy who is identified as a black sheep, I guess let's just cut to the point in a nutshell. When our kids exhibit a behavior that is outside of our code that we think is good or healthy or right or whatever it is, we have two choices at that point. One is to label them as an outsider to what the group is well first you try to make them like fit in and then when that doesn't work sure then you label them the second is to redefine the group yeah and just like happened in rudolph the red-nosed reindeer (laughs) you could say hey we're the island of what is it misfit Misfit toys or something like that yeah you know, instead of being, we're a group of people that follow the rules and do good things and are pretty dang awesome. Like, we're a group that includes people that are struggling or experimenting, or you could call it failing or choosing different choices about what they believe about drugs or God or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll say, like, assuming that's not destructive to everyone. <clears throat> But in most of these stories, like a teenage kid smoking pot, I don't think it was really like destructive to the group. It was destructive to the reputation, but it's not like all the three-year-olds then started smoking pot. I mean, that was that's one of the excuses that's made. Oh, like you're a bad influence on everyone. But it's like... Like you're no. some cancer yeah, yeah. or you have like leprosy, so you need to stay away. Something that needs to be like cut out before it infects everyone. And that's actually some of the language that's used. Mm-hmm. And not only does like, well, I mean, I guess like let's look at the ramifications of when you kick a kid out um, of the flock by declaring that they're a black sheep, you lose a kid. You lose a child. Yeah. Um, And that's what happened. Like, literally with this family was suicide. They lost the child. And I think, and this is one thing that's so unfortunate to me. I wish this family at this point would have said, shit, we fucked this one up. Mm -hmm. This wasn't worth it. Whatever hill we died on with pot or rock and roll or whatever, it wasn't worth a life. This was, like, partially our fault. We drove this child away and made them feel like a worthless piece of shit because they didn't fit in because we told them they didn't fit in and we told them the circle is only this small and we own that and we want to change as a family because talk about cancer what's 
cancerous isn't the child. What's cancerous is the belief that excludes the child. Yeah. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought because I was so excited about that. Well, I think it affects everyone, like, really negatively, that belief system. The, the living children it affects them. The parents are still in this, I mean, they're in their 70s, and they're still in this, like, really small circle of inclusivity. So then the kids that are in, they think they're in because that they follow the rules. So it's yeah. kind of a double whammy where that's like... And they know, like, I think subconsciously or consciously, they know at any point they could stop following the rules, and then they're out. And then they're out. And this is where Stephen Covey, is he LDS? I don't know, God bless him, wrote this book called Seven Highly Effective Habits of Families, I think. Um, and in this book, not to be confused with Seven Highly Effective Habits of People, <laughs> He said the most important child to love is the least lovable one mm-hmm. because deep down we all know that we're the least lovable mm-hmm. in our heart of hearts. At least that's how we feel. There's a reality of there's a part of us that's like a, the secret part, the ashamed, the shameful part, the out of control part. I think there's also another thing that happens, especially with the black sheep, but it probably happens with really anyone in a religious environment like this is they they then split themselves half of them tries to live up to this code so that their parents will accept and love them and then the other half of them knows they can't (laughs) and i mean i was just reading this story in this book called shameless of this um lesbian woman who grew up in this type of religious environment knew she liked girls um but half like half of her experimented with with that and the other half of her said no i can't do that and so fast forward 30 years she's like in a pile of blood trying to cut herself away because she she couldn't handle the split of that she had been living a double life. She was living a double life, and it was because her it was environment kill, it was killing her. Her environment basically forced her to. Yeah, it was they said ob- we don't accept this part of you, and because she wanted <clears throat> to be in the group so bad, <clears throat> and that's what I didn't realize about. Well, the Well, she wanted sheep. God to love her. I mean, people said, people told her this is who God loves. People who are representing God. Yeah, people. Who, yeah. And this is what I didn't realize about the black sheep. That the black sheep, they wanted in bad most of the time. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved and accepted by their mom and dad or by their peer group? wants to belong. Like everyone has an innate sense that they they need to belong. But there was something unique inside of them. And knowing this guy that committed suicide, he was like an artist. And this often happens, I think, with the artists. Like they don't fit into the mold of... The tight, moral, structured, scheduled, you know, achiever. And oftentimes when they don't um, follow the rules, they're viewed as outright rebellious, both in religious context and just from a parenting perspective. We've seen this with our kids where, you know, we'll say show up at six and a kid doesn't show up at six and we automatically think they don't care. Or you're giving me the middle finger when in reality, like scheduling is just not in this kid's wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it'd be nice for them to learn it. Mm-hmm. But they're not meaning it in this way, and actually, this lack of focusing on schedule, it just could be as much of an asset to this child and the world and our family as it is a liability to us. But we're, when we focus on how it doesn't fit in with what we want, and we just focus on it being a liability, mm-hmm. the kid comes to hate that part of themselves, mm-hmm. and and separate themselves from the group. And then we as the family lose that artist or that asset that could actually teach us about something that we're drastically missing as a tribe, as a family, as a group, as a Bible camp. So we become like monoculture. Yeah. And that's what happened is we lost all these people. I feel like this happened in my family to a certain degree with my brother. Um, I feel like it could happen with our kids. Um, so let's go to the other option. Instead of calling someone a black sheep, we can say, 
wow, you don't fit in with the way we're doing things. So because you're our kid and because we actually, the rules aren't sacred, like I'm thinking about um, watching this basketball YouTube video I saw this week where this like disabled kid was like playing basketball, you know, Mm -hmm. with like normal kids Mm -hmm. and they like stopped the game so that this like disabled kid could like make a basket. Hmm. And there's a part of me and I think there's part of people that watched that and they're like, oh, what? The rules of basketball don't matter. Like you're violating the rules. Like that Mm -hmm. kid can't play basketball. And it's like, yeah, okay. So they broke the rules. But what's the point of the rules of basketball? The rules of basketball are completely arbitrary. Yeah. Some dudes made them up 100 years ago so that humans could have fun, feel valued, and find order. Yeah. But it's like, who decides that you get to dribble the ball with one hand or not stop dribbling or shoot it from this certain line that's 18 feet back or whatever it is? It's all made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as a family, it's easy to hold these rules as sacred. Thou shalt not smoke pot. Yeah, that's a firm one. But Of course, 20 years ago it wasn't, and 20 years from now it won't be. So it's fucking make-believe. Mm-hmm. So if we have a kid that smokes pot, we could say, okay, you're out. You don't belong here. You're an outsider now. Or we have an incredible opportunity to reevaluate the fucking rules and to ask, is this really that important? Is this the hill I'm going to die on to lose a relationship and possibly in this fa- story's, family's story, a kid's life? Mm-hmm. How important are these rules? What are these rules for? Yeah. <laughs> to make God happy. <laughs> well, I mean, this is where, you know, there there's this. I, I actually find the teachings and saying of Jesus quite inspirational in this matter because he was no stranger to pissing people off with rules. And you have these Ten Commandments, which Christians hold as, like, the ultimate authority on all things. And most Christians don't follow them. I mean, they follow some of them, but there's some that they're very comfortable tossing out, like uh, Sabbath. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. I, I think it's, like, the third or seventh or something. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, which is a day of rest. And the Jews take that shit super seriously. Like, if you're in Jerusalem and you're driving a car down the street, like, all right, you remember when I was in Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, flying this drone, and I was... I was so nervous. Was, Muslim guy came up to you, right? I don't know who it was. But there, he was, <laughs> someone was like, you know, there was these crazy fuckers that were going to be throwing rocks at my drone and taking it out because I was flying it on Watch out, Saturday yeah. because mm-hmm. I was getting this bomb-ass footage of Jerusalem. And they're like, we're not stopping this basketball <laughs> game for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, where were we? Uh, oh, Sabbath. Okay. But then Jesus comes along. So this is a Ten Commandment, okay? Etched in stone by Moses or something. And he says, man is not here for Sabbath, but Sabbath is here for man. Basically saying, you don't serve the rule. Mm -hmm. A rule that's been embedded since the absolute creation story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that Christians and Jews and I think even Muslims like hold to. But these rules are actually here for you Hmm. to fulfill the first two commandments which jesus quoted again and again and again even though he didn't quote the other ones which was love god and love your neighbor which to me just screams the value of humans every human every human every and we don't get to determine a human's value And I know those people that were excluding folks from Bible camp, I don't think they, well, I'll just speak for myself. When I would see that person as the outsider, I wasn't excluding them like on purpose or thinking that I was loving them less or Mm -hmm. that they were, um, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't see it as a degrading thing. I saw them as the problem. Yeah. Now, I'm pouring myself some more this beverage here. Like, I think I even saw it as loving to see them as the problem. Loving to them. Like, if they could only just change change and be like this, 
they would live a happier, more fulfilling life or something like that. I mean, I just had ways to justify it to myself. And now, even our perspective of God has shifted. And I think some of the Christians we grew up with might be like, oh, I knew this was coming. Like, they're selling out. Mm-hmm. Which is a fucking travesty because this newer way, it turns out, I don't actually think is even new, but it's new to us. Basically says that God, the way that we saw God before was that he was so weak that we had to do these things to fit into his code for him to love us. And that actually makes for a weaker God, I think. Mm -hmm. And God, I mean, these stories of him, like with Jesus telling these parables of like the sheep that was lost and, and God going out and leaving the 99 to go find the one and bring it back is is a much more powerful God. It's it's a much more difficult thing to do as a parent, I think, to love all of the children. Any parent can draw a little circle and say, hey, whoever stays inside this, I'm going to love them mm-hmm. and give them my stuff. Yeah, That's easy as a parent. Piece of cake. It's, it's, it's the most natural thing to do as a human, I mm-hmm. think. It feels the safest. What feels really um, scandalous, I think, is when you start loving the outsider that's violating the code. And that's when everyone inside the circle will actually redefine how deep the love actually is and how powerful is this system of belief. It's If it's powerful enough for everyone to love everyone, that's powerful. Hmm. Yeah. You got to talk for a little bit because I got to light my cigar again. <sighs> Yeah. No. That... <laughs> when you say yeah like three times, that doesn't count. That's talking. Well, that mm, hits home with me. And Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see that in my own family. Um, like my family of origin where love only went so deep and you know as I have changed as I uh, was changing I wasn't they weren't able to accept that well first of all sorry about that I can tell you're having a moment here (laughs) thank you Second of all, I think there's a lesson to be learned here, um, which is just because people are different from us, we never know their motives. And it's really mm-hmm. dangerous to assume we know them. Yeah. Like, I remember hearing about your sister because your sister, like, left your parents' church when she was a teenager or something. Mm-hmm. And one of your family members said, oh, she was, like, really rebellious and really selfish. Well, when I talked to your sister, like, later on, she said... <sighs> Um, I left that church and then I went to every other church in the entire Seattle area trying to find God. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was just like, oh, that's a different story than what I heard. I heard you were kind of like a rebellious, selfish, non-religious outsider. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, you just didn't fit in that brand because maybe God made you different. Yeah. And you went to go find it and you were like, labeled for it mm-hmm. and you know i see this in our on our youtube channel with our comments like people make these funny comments and it's so easy to assume their motive yeah and i just don't think it's ever a good idea to assume people's motive you just, we just don't know right and that's what's helpful about the enneagram or myers-briggs or any of these personality driven things like five love languages whatever there's all different brands of it, but for me, what they all say is just that we're all made different or we're all compositionally different. Like, we don't just, like, we're not all made of the exact same stuff in our personality. Mm-hmm. So if I assume that, for example, like, let's take the most classic one, the extrovert versus the introvert. I'm like, hey, let's go hang out. And you're like, well, I want to read a book. And I'm like, oh, what a, you must not like me, you know, but you're just an introvert. And you're like, well, actually, I need more time alone. 
just that understanding that you're different is so helpful. But I think on a bigger level, you know, some kids would rather listen to music and they're going to connect with God more through smoking pot or not going to chapel or skipping, showing up late to things. Mm -hmm. And or having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And while it can be in our best interest as parents to continue to teach them about cause and effect, I think we have to be open to the fact that we might be wrong and some of these codes are made up right now. They just fit our day and age. And we are always going to have to wrestle with that question of what do we do with a kid that doesn't fit in our box? Do we call them a black sheep? Do we call them rebellious or an outsider and label them? Or do we look at the box? Maybe change the box. Tear down the box. I need a... Where did Dom go? That's it. I I can't say anything more grand than that. Yep. Okay. We got some... Comments, questions? Yes. Cool. Let me find it here. First of all, I have our... Dang it. I Is it the W? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Blake Roberts. Um, I live in Dayton, Kentucky, so I'm actually pretty close to you guys. Something that I've been curious about um, that you guys have kind of touched on in a sort of recent podcast was um, sex before marriage. I just want to hear your thoughts about it and um, coming from a Christian background and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, people are usually pretty opinionated and yeah, I just want to hear what you guys think or what you um talk to your kids about or would recommend for them. I love the podcast and hopefully you can give me an answer. Thank you. Blake and Dayton, I got this one. This is simple. If you have sex before marriage, you're out. <laughs> you're out of the box. <laughs> no, this is a really easy. Serious, this is a really easy. Serious Got question. it. Next question. Complicated question. Oh man. Yeah. I actually don't know how you're gonna answer this. Okay. I don't know how I'm gonna answer it either. I just feel really passionate about this because I've seen so many people hurt by this. So many people, and it's just like, is this even worth it? Is it worth the hurt um, to tell someone that they absolutely should not have sex before marriage? I just have seen so many people hurt when they're told that. (laughs) So it seems like there's a lot of people that don't fit in that box um, for whatever reason. And I think it's like, saying a one shoe fits all kind of thing when you say oh god thinks that you shouldn't have sex before marriage and if you do and there's all these like threats right if you do you're gonna get something or you're gonna get a baby or you're gonna get your heart broken or your marriage your, your future marriage is gonna be horrible now or whatever um so I guess the way I see it is it's kind of a personal decision <laughs> that each person kind of needs to make for themselves. And for my own kids, I don't want them to go into it lightly, but I I will not be telling them you shouldn't have sex before marriage. I won't. <laughs> so... did that yeah so that's i don't know that i mean i'm still like 
tossing and turning. Would you encourage them to have sex before marriage? It depends. I think it would depend on, like, if my kid doesn't even have a boy or girlfriend for me to say that to them. Like, but we've already encouraged them to be sexual, like, don't shut their sexuality down. Meaning, like, master if they want to masturbate, like. So the next low, if you have a significant other, if they have one and they're not married, and they came to me and they're like, Mom, I really want to have sex. What do you think? <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm just like, now I'm like, oh, shit, what would I say? <laughs> um, I more just know what I won't say than what I will say. I mean... But I, I want it to be whatever it is. Like I want it to be po- I want I want them to see their sexuality as positive, not as negative. And I think when you put these rules around your sexuality, I'm sorry, but most people will just take take it away from it that their sexuality is negative. Um, there might be the exceptions to that, but I know that's what happened to me. So. We we waited to have intercourse until we got married. <laughs> yeah. And why are you laughing again? Oh, just because you said intercourse. intercourse. Um, yeah, we did, and there was a lot. Do you uh, regret that? I kind of do a little bit. Yeah, I regret the whole my whole perspective around that because it wasn't just a decision for intercourse there was this motivation behind it that that was this very strong emphasis on this code and i shouldn't say i I don't think i regret it because i don't like that word i think for me it's like i just feel sad for my past self so she said she from a christian perspective and she was kind of um indicating our christian background Mm mm-hmm would you say that um, you don't believe in the Bible anymore? Or do you think that that's not in the Bible or some other thing? Like I how would you... don't think it's very clear in like the Bible as far as like sex before marriage. I think if you want to find it, you'll find it. But I don't really think the Bible is, is for like finding that one verse to like support your cause i gotta say i think we're on the same page pretty much (laughs) all right cool next question thank you hi cammy and ben i have a question for your question segment um i'm just wondering from your experience with starting your blog and your podcast and your book and your adventures etc what advice do you have to someone who has like similar like big ideas, um, but really struggles with getting started. Um, I would love to start my own podcast or blog or something like that, but it just feels like the market is saturated. Um, and my ideas are probably already taken, or maybe they're similar to something that's already out there. So like, why would anyone care about, um, what I have to contribute and also just being worried about, um, what people think, you know, maybe they think it's like silly or something like that. Um, just wondering like how you get over that initial hurdle and just like, if you have any tips for, starting and feeling confident in your new projects thanks bye i think you should take that one over i'm gonna light my cigar up again you kind of handled the uh, premarital sex one yeah it's only fair love this question love it so man i'll tell you what's what's helped us um with putting out product and by the way we're getting to a size now where I think people make the mistake of thinking that we don't deal with fear and we've always been big. This is not true. Before we started the AT, I think we might have had less than 10,000 subscribers. And we've been working on our channel for three fucking years. <laughs> and our podcast now has 500 subscribers on YouTube. I mean, that's nothing. Like, some people shit out 500 subscribers in terms of a feeling of validation. Now you guys aren't nothing. You know, I'm not saying that to you. Yeah. But we're still small in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. either way, we still wrestle with these feelings of adequacy. Are we um, adding value to the world? Are we sounding stupid? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. 
So the, the number one thing that has helped us get something started is to create a deadline and just ship it. Mm-hmm. You have to put it out in the world and you have to do it consistently regardless of feedback, regardless of your feelings, your feelings, the voices in your head. And I mean, there's a lot I could say about this, but with our podcasts and our vlog, a lot of what we're doing, we had to just do it for ourselves. Like maybe there are duplicate Ben and Cammies out there that are saying the exact same thing we're saying. I don't care. We're not competing with them. A lot of why we're doing what we're doing is for ourselves because we couldn't handle not doing it. And if you have this on your heart or your head or your mind, my guess is there for a reason. And what's going to really suck is if in five years you haven't done it. Uh, that's going to suck more than if you do it and someone else is doing it also. Like the world's a big place. And I think it can handle two or three or 2,000 podcasts that are similar. Now, if you're doing it in your truest sense, my feeling is it actually won't be similar to anything else that's out there. Because I think every person has a unique story and therefore has something unique to offer the world. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what to do, um, there's a few things that have been helpful for me. One is... Uh, uh, like, what are you passionate about? Like, Gary V, is it Gary V? No, James Altucher phrased it this way. Like, what What do you, like, the first thing is it has to bleed. Like, you you have to bleed it. Like, you know, it has to be passion. It has to be from your soul. Um, if you're struggling with that, another way to phrase it is what makes you angry in the world? Like, talk about that. And And then it doesn't matter if it's duplicate uh, because it's real. And I think people crave reality, all different versions of it, and they're willing to listen to it. Now, you might suck at it, and it might... um... Well, you probably will suck at it, because when you start something, you're never that good. Yeah, and that's, like, completely okay. Yeah. Um, But you still got to do it, because doing it in a shitty way, I think, is better than not doing it, because it's a step forward. And once again, that starts with a ship date. So you just got to know, if you look at our earlier vlogs, they are embarrassing to me that they even exist in a way. But they're not because they were the best we had and they got us to where we are. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way to get someplace is by taking the first step. I still think our podcasts suck. Like in terms of uh, quality um, production experience. I think if you like them um, and if you appreciate them like you are probably very gracious and you're probably very open-minded and don't mind (laughs) you just like cammy and i and i'm thankful for that but i i hope like like when i think about raising funds or really plugging like patreon or something for getting sponsors or monetizing things i think i'm going to pump out a hundred podcast episodes before i even ask for that because these first hundred they're really just for us they're for us to like develop confidence and find our voice mm-hmm. and to um, get good at it and to get practice and to learn. I mean, we're learning about tech. We're learning about microphones. I just last week was the first time I used a condenser on GarageBand and the, my sound guy, music teacher for my kids, who's our sound guy. We don't actually have a sound guy. <laughs> sound guy. Um, Sounds so official. He um, And the only reason why I had this appointment was because my son slept through his music lesson because we have no rules. <laughs> um, that was before he deleted his Fortnite account. <laughs> But I said, hey, I'm gonna, I, I want to learn like a trick for how to make our, us sound better. Do you know of any? And he said, yeah, turn these condensers on. That was episode 27 mm-hmm. of our podcast. We had to have 27 episodes for me to even learn about that. Mm-hmm. So, But it, that's what pushed you to even learn about it. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like once, When you make these things and you ship these things, it's like a domino effect with all those learning things. So two resources I will recommend. One is Gary V. Yeah. Um, his Instagram account specifically mm-hmm. is highly inspirational to me to put out content. I hope you don't mind uh, bad language. Um, bad. The second Sorry. piece of um, content that has been highly influential to me is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's a book. You can get it on Amazon for like 10 bucks. 
You can read it in about an hour. And I think it might blow your mind. But I don't know your name because you left on possibly one of the first messages. And actually, this is like your eighth one. And I'm really thankful for that. But I really hope that you create something um, and that you keep on doing it. Like create a schedule and fucking ship it. And expect to have a ton of resistance to and, it. And expect one person to listen. And then, yeah. but your next one, like either you'll get better at it and maybe two people will listen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Two people is enough. You know, there's yeah. no magic number. This is a hundred people. And Be- then, and maybe this is something Gary Vee would say, but like maybe I think what helps is having, like telling someone about it. I guess you told us, but telling someone in your actual life, yes. like I'm going to do this please uh, ask me about it. Did you do it this week? Did you do it? Did you finally uh, record your podcast? We do this with our kids. And then I also have a group of guys that we meet Monday morning at 6 a.m. just to talk about our challenges and inspiration for the week and our project that we want to complete this next week. And we report mm-hmm. back every week on how we do. Um, there is an app called Anchor that we use to record our podcasts. It's free app. You literally can record it on your phone. You need no extra equipment. You can talk into your phone for 10 minutes about any topic that you find interesting. And you can publish it to every fucking major platform in the world. Like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, with one button, all completely for free. That's your podcast. That's crazy and amazing that you can do that. It's a crazy world. The it's only thing world. holding people back is you. Yeah. And I don't mean, I mean, now, which is, granted, which I'm is not a, saying you're going to have a million followers. Really hard. Yeah. But in terms of getting your podcast published, the only thing holding you back is you. And that's a major thing. I don't want to make it sound like that's yeah, a minor thing. it's a major thing. thing. But at the end of the day, but it's, it's still you. But it's helpful because it's like, oh, you have, I think you have some control over that then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So kudos for even asking that question that yeah. tells me that there's something that's on your heart that you need to get out there you almost lit I, your paper on fire i know well i'm trying to light my thing again and i'm trying to move these pages and, uh, <laughs> stuff is going crazy right now there i'll move them i'll move them for you but yeah seriously that is a really good thing to talk about because it this could transfer to so many different just passion projects not just podcasting or vlogging, but really, I mean, we we talked to our daughter, our 16-year-old daughter, Eden, because she's an artist, and so we, we just tell her, keep pumping out your art. Um, so, yeah, it could really just be anything that you're passionate about. And the most important thing about this idea of saying yes to those quiet voices, these voices, by the way, are not rewarded in our society. What's rewarded is going to school like to make your boss happy at school so that you can make your boss happy in real life and get a paycheck and these things you might not make money i mean we're not even making money from this mm-hmm. well that's not true if you're in video land you'll see hmm. we have this 23 dollars here this is the new edition this is our tip jar that you guys have paid us for our new chairs we need to clap how do you clap well, we, we already, already clapped. clapped. Okay, okay. And I, I feel just like they didn't do again. anything this last week. Oh. So if you just clap, it's like sending the wrong message, I think, okay. that they can just sit on their asses, not do anything, and then get applause. <laughs> you got to earn it, people. Yeah. I mean, you're special and all that, mm-hmm. but I'm not clapping for nothing. So there's no external reward for a lot of these passion projects, but I think there's an internal, like inward reward that you're creating something that is a part of who you are um and i think that's really valuable and i think that'll actually be helpful to you okay one last resource i gotta plug there's this video on youtube and it's called just type in ira glass the gap ira glass he's the um host and creator of This American Life, the largest podcast in the world on NPR. And it's called The Gap. And this talk, it's three minutes long. I'm not going to give you any hints, except for it's motivating as hell. And it'll make you feel okay about your first hundred podcasts sucking. <laughs> or vlogs. Or vlogs. Or, or blog anything. posts. Yeah. Or whatever. 
businesses, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. So I wish I knew what your name was, but I actually really want you to call in. I'm not going to remember, but you remember in six months, call in and update us. It's March 27th. That means that's 327, September. 927th, September 27th, call in to 206-651-5744 and let us know what you've done or not done. I don't care what it is. Yeah. But I want an update. Yep. And everyone else, if you have a comment or a question, call 206-651-5744. Thanks, guys, for being open to this discussion about black sheep and um, all that kind of stuff. And our hope is that we would be able to build environments that, that are strong enough and robust enough that they include the people that we really do want to love. They include everyone. This um, podcast is available on iTunes and all those fancy places. And uh, please call and leave us a message with your comments or questions. And we have a Facebook group discussion, which is um, available for deeper uh, dives into these topics. And that all those links and all the resources I mentioned, if I remember, are available in the show notes. Thanks. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.